I love often how how often God just works all aspects of our time together into a focus on Him. We've heard expressions this morning of what uh, how awesome God is, and that's really what I want to speak about today and have us dwell on. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you a, a passage that really stood out to me this week as I was reading through the Bible. You have those moments where you're reading the Bible and just that one phrase or that one statement just jumps out at you in a new way. Maybe you've read it a few times before, but for whatever reason, this time, you just have to stop and dwell on it. And as I was reading through a Bible, uh, um, some Bible passages for a Bible reading plan this week, there was this one passage that, that really jumped out to me. And after reading it, I realized it especially jumped out because of what I read right before and right after that. Just these moments like, wow, that's really an interesting alignment of Bible passages to really make me stop and focus and just dwell on how awesome God is. And so I want to share this with you today and have us all just kind of dwell on the goodness of God. And so it begins with Psalm 8. Let's read Psalm 8 together. Um, I'll give you just a moment to open up to that. It's a really short psalm, just nine verses long. Um should be really right near the center of the Bible. I'll give you a moment. Psalm 8, yes. It begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this psalm is written to express wonder at the awesomeness of God. It speaks about God's glory set in the heavens, how the moon and the stars are the work of his fingers. And today, we know that those heavens are vast. The earth is just one tiny speck in an enormous universe that God has created. And it's amazing to consider all that God has created, the wonders we continue to discover as we explore this galaxy he has placed our home in. And this psalm says that from the lips of of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And that statement is really an expression of how mighty the Lord is. His might, his protection of his own does not depend on a vast army. He uses even the meekest of his people to accomplish great feats. The Lord is truly majestic in all the earth. He is mighty. He is far more vast and powerful and wise and creative than anything in all existence. His works of creation, his goodness, his justice, his strength, all of these things show 
His great goodness. They're on display for all to see. Paul writes in Romans how apparent God is to those who see him. His, his character is seen in all that he has created. God shows himself to be great and mighty in all he does. But the most astounding thing that I find in this psalm is what we read right in the middle there, right, right um, starting in verse 3. When it says, When I consider the works of your heaven, or consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And it goes on to describe how God made man ruler over all his works. The New Century Version states Psalm 8.4 in this way. It says, But why are people even important to you? Why do you take care of human beings? And that's the statement that struck me as so powerful and profound. Why, Lord, are people even important to you? In, the light, in light of the enormity of God's acts of creation, and in light of his might, why do people matter to God? We're such a minuscule part of everything that he has created. Why do we matter? God has shown special interest in mankind, placing them, as the psalm says, a little lower than the angels. We don't have the same kind of power and might. We don't have the same kind of nearness to God as the angels, and yet God has crowned mankind with glory and honor, making them rulers over the works of his hands. We read about this. In Genesis 1, right at the beginning in creation, we read how God ordained mankind for great things. I'm going to read from Genesis 1, starting in verse 27, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And just that alone is marvelous to consider that God created us to reflect his character, made us in his image. And there's many ways that we are similar to God. He made us different than the rest of his creation. And it goes on to say, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be your food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And so God placed mankind in this earth and gave them dominion over the earth. He gave them rulership set us as stewards over his vast creation. Why would God care so much? Why would he bestow so much upon mankind? Why would he choose us to be his stewards? Why would he choose us to bear his image? Why, Lord, do you care so much about creatures who are so weak and so tiny in comparison to the many things that you have created. 
That's a big question to ask. Why? Do we even that why does he even care about us so much? And as I said, this this question jumped out to me, especially in light of some other passages that I read. And let me share those with you. The first is Genesis 27. And in Genesis 27, we read about a young man named Jacob receiving a blessing from his father. Now, if you want to turn to that, we can read it together. Um, but let me just give you a background, a little, little bit of human history, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, we know that God created Adam and Eve as the first man and woman. They sinned against God. And as man multiplied on the earth, wickedness and, and sin grew and filled the earth. Genesis 6.5 says that every inclination of the thought of human heart was only evil all the time. Within just a few generations, that was where mankind was. And so God sent a flood in judgment over, the, over mankind. He rescued one man, Noah, and his family and a pair of every type of animal to repopulate the earth. And as mankind repopulated the earth, so again sin filled the earth. So God chose Abram, who later became known as Abraham, to be the father of a great nation. This nation would be set apart from all the other nations because God would be their God. They would have a close relationship with him. They would be an example and a light to the rest of the world of what it meant to live with God and for God. So Abraham eventually had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest, the older of the two. And here in Genesis 27, we get a glimpse of the character of Jacob, who would carry on the promise God gave to Abraham through his 12 sons who became the 12, science, 12 tribes of, of Israel. So I'm going to read um, Genesis 27, verses 1 through 13. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, go get your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah, his wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare some tasty food to eat, so I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat. Then he may give you his blessing before he dies. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man of smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse upon myself rather than a blessing. So his mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go and get them for me. And they covered Jacob with furs and covered him with clothes that would smell the way Esau did so that they could trick Jacob into giving or trick Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing which he did we can read that blessing in, in verse 27 I'm going to jump down to that so when it came so when he 
So he went to him and kissed him, and Isaac caught the smell of his clothes and blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew, of the earth's richness, and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. This was the blessing that Jacob, or Isaac, excuse me, intended for Esau, but gave to Jacob because he was tricked. Esau comes afterward, reveals the trickery, and asks Jake, um, Isaac if he's reserved any blessing for him. He says, Father, bless me too. But his father says, I, I have nothing left to give you. I've given everything to your son. And this, this wasn't just a, a blessing that we might think of today where it's a well-wish, we, we pray that things would go well for you. This was bestowing honor and dignity onto his son. And so Jacob, or Jacob carried away that blessing. It couldn't be taken back. And all that Isaac had left for his son Esau was, we read in verse 37, Isaac answered Esau. He said, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the riches of the earth, away from the dew of the heaven above, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck. And this was not the first time there was an interaction like this where Jacob took something of Esau's. We read earlier in Genesis 25 that Esau came back from hunting. He was starving and Jacob had this stew, this really wonderful stew he made. And Esau says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, not until you give me your birthright. And Esau did give up his birthright. Jacob demanded that in exchange for feeding his brother. Demonstrating some selfishness, deceitfulness. This is the man who would go on to become the father of God's chosen people. Now, it's not, this doesn't say something about God's character and who he chooses. It says something about the sinfulness of mankind. There was no righteous person for God to choose. It's not that God went around the earth and finding that one person who would be the, the righteous and sin-free person that would carry on his name. No, he, the earth was full of sinners. And God worked with sinners and chose to come near to them. And when I read about this deceitfulness in Jacob, just two generations after choosing Abram, Abraham, before Israel is even formed, I think, God, why do you even care about us? And then I went on to read Matthew chapter 14. We read a little bit about what happened with John the Baptist. Matthew 14, 1 through 12. Now, John the Baptist, of course, was Jesus' cousin, and he was chosen by God to prepare people for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the Messiah. 
He baptized them uh, a little bit differently than Jesus' baptism. This was a ceremonial cleansing, a, a confession of sin, a commitment to follow the Lord, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And in Matthew 14, we read that at the time of Herod, the Tetrarch, um, he heard reports about Jesus and said to his attendants, this John the Baptist, he has arisen from the dead. That is why mirac mirac or miraculous powers are at work at him. So he was assuming that John the Baptist was reincarnated as Jesus. But then we read about what happened with John. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. And on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised an oath to give her whatever she asked. And prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. So Herod knew this was wrong, but because of the pressure of all his guests and the promises he's made to his daughter, he actually had John beheaded and brought the head before uh, in on a platter. Just a gruesome but historical facts about the sinfulness of mankind. And sadly, this is not the worst thing that people have done to one another. We have tortured one another. We have murdered one another. We have taken land and family and possessions away from one another. We have enslaved generations of people and dehumanized groups of people. We still enslave people today. Children are abducted and sold for the pleasure and purposes of other people. We kill in the name of personal freedom and choice. We make all kinds of reasons for why we need to hurt and to kill and to hate and to take away. We justify our actions because we think there's some greater purpose we're gaining by hurting one another. I just read a news article a couple days ago about a group of high schoolers here in Minnesota who were just having some fun, hazing a fellow student. They made fun of him. They tied him up. They may have assaulted him, and then they left him alone. And it was all because they were just having fun. They didn't mean to hurt anyone. But this is the kind of thing that we do to one another as human beings. And none of us can claim to be innocent of this kind of thing. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we cover up to get what we want. However well-intentioned our desires and our goals may be, we have all put ourselves before others in some way and caused some kind of harm to someone else to get what we want. And it really, really makes me question, Lord, why are people even important to you? Why, do you don't, why don't you just give up on us? Haven't you had enough? We have abandoned you. We have ignored you. We have 
we have not followed the, the great privilege that you have given us. Why would you send your Son, Lord, the pure and holy Son of God, to live among people who do such terrible things to each other? Why would Jesus choose to give up his life for us and offer to take the punishment that we so deserve for the terrible things that we do? Why show us such grace and mercy? Why, God, are people even important to you? That is a really difficult question when we think about it to wrestle with, considering what people do to one another and what we do to God's creation. How easily we forget our Creator. How easily we forget how much He has crowned us with glory, given us great honor, and the privilege of serving Him in this world. It can be gut-wrenchingly difficult to wrestle with all that God has given us in consideration of the obvious truth that we don't deserve the love and care that God shows us. But even if that is a difficult question to face, I think it's an important one for every person to dwell on for a bit. Because it exposes certain truths that can be truly life-changing. And the first of those, it reveals the truth of our own sinful nature. It shows how often we are tempted to put ourselves first and how often we follow through on those temptations. It shows us how easily we, we could truly do damage to others if we don't have some kind of moral anchor holding us back. And it exposes our need for God's direction to keep us from re doing real harm to one another. But even more importantly than that, I think it tells us something awesome about God. Not only is God all-powerful and almighty, He is all-loving. Because the only real answer that I can find to that question about why we matter to God is that He is love. There is no selfishness in God at all. He embodies true love completely. True love that is ever patient, that is full of grace, that always believes the best no matter what the evidence to the contrary might be. He's always welcoming people back, always willing to forgive if we will confess and repent from our past. Knowing that this is who God is provides a source of unending joy and such hope for our lives. We are so blessed that God who made all things and who crowned us with glory and made us in His image is not vindictive. He is not full of wrathful indifference toward us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Praise Him that He doesn't. Because God is love, we are able to know what love is. He truly is the light in our darkness. It's only through Him that we understand love. And if we are able to understand love from Him, we are able to learn how to live in love, and we're able to learn how to demonstrate love to other people. 
This is something expressed in one more passage I want to read from John, um, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not Love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's a lot we can unpack in there, but it's Paul is stating, or excuse me, John is stating over and over how much love comes from God. God is the embodiment of love, and because we know him, we are capable of love as well. So let us love one another because of him. So my goal for today really was just to have us wrestle with that question. I want to encourage you to just think more on that. Why are people even important to you, God? We don't deserve it. We do lots of things that prove that we haven't earned it. And often we're not even interested in God's care for us. We just want what we want. That's our nature. And yet God does care about us. We are important to us, so important that he continues to give of himself. He gave up his son. Jesus gave up his life for us. He was tortured and died and buried for us so that we may know grace, we may know forgiveness, and we may know love, and that love can grow in us and around us. Let's praise God today for his power and his might and his unconditional love for us. May our days be full of joy because God is love. Let's pray together and thank him for that love as we sing this next song for him. Heavenly Father, My heart feels heavy when I think about how undeserving I am of your love, Father. And yet you do love. It erases any sadness, Lord. It fills me with such joy. I pray that you would fill all of us with such joy in knowing that you choose to love us and forgive us and make yourself known to us. Pray, Lord, that you would teach us to love the way you do that our church would be known for that love that we share for one another and that we would continue to share that around us. We would invite, other, invite others into that love daily, Father. We pray this, Father, and we pray for your blessing over our church, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.